0: Hello and welcome, my faithful and (coughs) loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to day 229 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So just a brief reminder of what you should have read to have been prepared for today's segment. You should have read Nehemiah. 12, 27 through 13, 31, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, Psalm 35, 1 through 16, and Proverbs 21, 17 <coughs> through 18. So our focus for today is going to be on Acts 20, verses 25 through 38. So, if you will recall, we've been dealing with Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian, excuse to, to the elders of the Ephesian church, right? <coughs> and so, at the very end of the of the first section of Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders, which is what we ended with yesterday, we saw... Paul telling the elders of the Ephesian church that his only aim in life was to complete the mission that God had given him. And that theme was going to continue as Paul finishes up his farewell address to the elders of the Ephesian church because Paul is going to conclude his farewell message or his farewell address (coughs) with words of encouragement to the elders of the Ephesian church as they continue on in their God-given missions. So with that being said, Let's now pick up in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse me, which says this. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So let's stop right there for right now, right? so yesterday we saw that paul essentially told the ephesian elders starting in verse tw- uh, and over in verse 23 that i only know that in every city the holy spirit warns me that prison and hardships <laughs> are facing me so we know that Holy Spirit has revealed that to Paul and that given that fact that what the Holy Spirit has revealed to Paul that Paul expected not to see the Ephesians again, right? And so what this verse here, this first verse this last section of Paul's farewell address is doing is accurately describing Paul's expectation. Right, but but <coughs> I think he wrote his pastoral letters, right, suggests some ministry to Ephesus after his release from custody in Rome. So there's some evidence that there was a fourth missionary journey at some point in time. So, when we get to how the book of Acts ends, it doesn't end... I'm going to give you kind of a a little preview, right? So, the book of Acts doesn't end with Paul being executed. It ends with Paul being (coughs) in custody in Rome, right? So, we're not told that Paul is actually in prison, prison. We're just told that... Paul is in Rome in some sort of custody, probably under house arrest, which means he would have been free to travel at the end of the book of Acts. So that's just a preview of what we're going to get into. We <coughs> <coughs> also know that during Paul's imprisonment in, in Rome, that he expressed his plans to travel to the city of Colossae, and obviously that would have taken him through the city of Ephesus and, and we find that in the book of Philemon verse 22 because if you know really think about the book of Philemon you know that it only contains one chapter so now let's move on to the next two 1st let's move on to 26 and 27 which says this therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you For I have not hesitated To proclaim to you The whole Will of God The whole will of God So let's talk about What Paul is telling The Ephesian Elders here So let's deal with that first part About <coughs> being Innocent of blood so being innocent of the blood of people is a reference to Ezekiel thirty three six, which says this but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, That person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. (coughs) So, that's what he was talking about. He's saying he's innocent of the blood of the people. He's making a reference to that passage. So, let's let's discuss the rest of this first right so the you in that first sentence in verse 26 is likely all of the people of ephesus so what paul is saying all in total there in that first sentence right is that paul was not a negligent watchman who kept silent about the sins of the people of Ephesus who kept silent when the Holy Spirit called him to preach. So because he did not keep silent because he preached what he was told to preach, he had no guilt regarding their rejection of Christ. So if the people of Ephesus decided to reject Christ, Paul had no guilt over that, because he had fulfilled and completed his mission. So, we know why he had no guilt, why he thought he had no guilt, so here's why he was innocent, right? so he was innocent, he told the people the whole truth about God's plans, in other words, he was the one as that passage over in Ezekiel says <coughs> was the one who blew the trumpet to warn the people, right? He blew the trumpet to warn the people of their impending spiritual doom, doom because he blew the trumpet whether or not they responded was entirely up to them right so now let's deal with the fact that it says he was in it of the part that is you which is all of the people of ephesus or all of the people in the province of asia right so let's deal with that right so we all know it was physically impossible for paul to witness to every person in the province of Asia, right? So if it was physically impossible for him to preach the gospel or witness to every person in the province of Asia, (coughs) right, so how could he then be innocent of the blood of all of the people of the province of Asia, right? So how is that possible? So that is possible because Paul did consistently proclaim the gospel, right, to the region, right, so he consistently proclaimed the gospel to the province of Asia, wherever he went within the province of Asia, and we know that he gave the Ephesians themselves Everything they need to go out and to evangelize the entire, to evangelize the people within their own province. So now let's pick up in verse 28. So here's what that says. Starting in verse 28, here it says, Keep watch over yourselves and all... <coughs> Keep watch over yourselves, for the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which which He bought with His own blood. You know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and will not spare the flock. From your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for your three years, you never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And that took us up to verse 31. So what is Paul doing now? Right? So now... Paul is now speaking, so Paul had previously, right, had been kind of speaking about himself, so now he transitioned, right, to saying, hey, look, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to be coming back, right, and so uh, he says, since I'm not going to be coming back, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, right, since you all know the scriptures and what the scriptures are saying, right, that I'm not innocent <coughs> of the blood. Uh, that I'm not guilty. Uh, that I'm innocent of the blood of those who are gonna choose to reject Christ. And so now he is giving these Asian elders what their duties are. Now that Paul's not gonna be coming back, and so they're duty, right, is to oversee the flock. Is to look after them. They're to be the leaders of the church, right? So they're so they are the leaders of the church and they have been appointed by the Holy Spirit. And as the leaders of the church, they are to shepherd the church, which is the flock. Which is what we see in verse twenty eight, right? He says, "Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood." Right. So, what does that last part mean? Right? So it says, uh, "Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own." So, in other words, what Paul is saying there is that the church, the flock, <coughs> has a very high value attributed to it, right? So, why does it have such a high value attributed to it, right? So, it has such a high value attributed to it because the price of the church, right? The price, what was paid for the church was the God of Christ so because of that the Ephesians were to guard themselves and the flock from false teachers right so that's where we come to verse 29 which says I know that <coughs> after I leave seven your walls will come in among you and will not spare the Flock, Right? So that's the false teachers we're talking about here, that Paul, that, that we just talked about, right? That would be the savage wolves who are going to come in among you and will not spare the flock, right? So they're, vicious, they're described as being vicious wolves, which is an image that suggests both, both the intent in the ferocity of these false teachers, right? <coughs> so here's what we're saying, right? So they wanted to con- so these false teachers want to consume the church with a relentless savagery, which is where which is what verse thirty is telling us. It says, even from your own number Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them, right? So that's the most chilling part of this entire passage is that Paul is saying there's going to be some who are going to come up from within the church to prey on the flock, to prey on the very people that they are supposed to be, Overseeing the pe- very people they're supposed to be guiding, directing to filling with good things, to being examples for so they can do the right thing, doing the godly thing. But what they're going to do instead is they're going to come in and try to make disciples uh, for themselves while ignoring the fact that they're supposed to be pouring into these people's lives. So, uh, like the Junior that we saw over in Acts chapter fifteen, they were interested not in these people would be that would not would not be interested excuse you me know, will not be interested in evangelizing the lost, but they'd be more interested in pilfering the church. More interested in pulling out those from the church that they want to be their own followers of creating their own cults of worship, right? And so we know that what Paul predicted here would actually happen, certainly did happen, right? Because we see the effects of such things chronicled in the letters to Timothy and in the letters of John so more specifically we see it over in first Timothy uh, chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 which says this as I urged you when I went into Macedonia stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work which is by faith so it also comes from second Timothy and it comes from second Timothy for uh, chapter 1 verse. 15, which says this, you know, that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phylogilus and Hermogenes. right? So, we also see it in the letters to John, right? So Paul wrote to Timothy about this, and then John wrote entire letters dealing with it. So, we see it over in First John chapter 2, verse 19, which says this, "...they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us." And so, then we also see it over in John's second letter, the book of Second John, in verse nine, uh, verse 9, excuse me, which says this, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So both Paul and John knew that false teachers were going to rise up, and they gave warnings to those who were the hungers and the overseers, the elders of mm, various churches, so that they would not fall victim to these false teachers who were not there to help the flock. We're only there to hurt the flock, right? That's why Paul concludes this section by saying, "So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears." So now, continuing on in verse thirty. 2, here's what it says, it says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs the needs of my companions in everything I did I showed you that by this kind of hard work you must help the weak remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive more blessed to give than to receive so that took us up to verse 35 right so what Paul Paul is saying here is that God should not be separated from the word of His grace. Right? He is saying that God is active in His word, and that through His word, He builds up believers. And we should all know by now that Paul deeply believed these truths, and that he sought to build up the believers in the city of Ephesus. By his exhortations. And at the end of this speech, Paul emphasized the integrity of his ministry, right? He emphasized it. He put a special emphasis on it. He spent a lot of time dealing with the integrity of his ministry, right? So he says that he was neither covetous nor requesting money, right? He says, Verse 34, excuse me, verse 33 says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive right. So Paul wasn't the covetous nor to request money, even though he was in his within his right to demand it as just compensation For his preaching, but he didn't ask for it. Instead. What does it say he did? Mm -hmm. What does it say it is? Verse 34 just as we just read it says you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions Paul went out and he worked He preached and he worked. He was what we would now call by vocation right? He had to be because he was traveling around on time, and at this point in time, he wasn't going from a specific mission board or from a specific church that was paying all of his expenses. Paul had to pay a lot of this stuff out of his own pocket, so, while he was traveling, he had to work at what his trade was, which was leather work. And so, you see at the very end of this section that Paul seeks in an otherwise unknown saying, right, of Jesus to demonstrate that selfless service is the Lord's will. So, what are we talking about? there, so we're talking about what verse 35 says, it says, "In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, right, so we know that Jesus is recorded to have made similar statements over in Luke's gospel. Specif- more specifically Luke chapter six, verse thirty-eight, which says Luke six thirty-eight says this given it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he also made another similar statement, over in Acts 11.9, which says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You. So we know that this is a saying that would fit with in with Jesus, right? So it's not found in any of the four Gospels, but just because it's not found in any of the four Gospels does not, does not, negate the accuracy of this statement, right? Because in this particular case, Luke, who was, who was the writer of the book of Acts, chose to n- chose not to include it in his gospel, but he did choose to include it here to make a point. Paul is making a point, right? He's saying he's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul gave of his time, he gave of his time, He gave of his other resources, right? He never asked for the just compensation that he was owed. Because he realized that by giving of his time, of his talents, of his efforts everything that he gave he was building something of far more importance than his own personal kingdom he was building up the kingdom of god so now let's continue on over in verse 36 and and here's what it says when paul had finished speaking he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So we see this closing scene in Ephesus. What's so important about this closing scene in Ephesus, right? Is that it's filled with sorrow and it's filled with loss. And so when Paul knelt down to when Paul knelt and when he started to pray, the uh, the, the elders here, these people who Paul had poured himself into day after day, week after week, could no longer contain themselves. Why? Because they were no longer gonna see a man they thought of as their spiritual father. And so what did they do? They covered him in, in embraces, and they showered him with kisses. Which is what verse 37 says, it says, they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. So these actions that they took show the deep love that these men, these Ephesian elders, had for the Apostle Paul. It's... And it is especially noteworthy that the thing that caused the most distress was not the fact that Paul was leaving. They could have handled the fact that Paul was leaving. What they couldn't handle was the fact that that they were not expecting to see Paul again. On the earth expected to see paul again yes but they only expected to see paul again when when they head up when they died and got and their spirits and their souls went up to heaven then they were going to get to see paul again but they thought they was never ever going to get to see paul again on earth, right which is how this this speech this sentient apostle will address ends, right, it says, what grieved them most was his statement, they would never see his face again, right, they weren't grieving because Paul was leaving them and going to Jerusalem, they was grieving because he told them straight up, you're never gonna see my face again, in other words, I'm gonna leave and Based on what the Holy Spirit has revealed to me, I do not expect to come back to you for a third visit or a fourth visit. However, well, whichever number of visit this was, Paul didn't expect to come back. And Paul probably did not come back. We don't know for sure if he did or did not, but we can presume that he did not come back, right? So, then he finishes up by saying, then they accompanied him to the ship, right? So, they accompanied him to the ship. They followed him to the trip. Because they wanted to spend as much time with him as they possibly could. Before he left them for good. And so, that's what we're going to pick up tomorrow, right? As we see... Paul continued on his journey to Jerusalem, and ultimately to Rome. And so here's what you need to read to be prepared for that discussion. You need to read Esther 1-3, 1 Corinthians 11, 17-34, Psalm 35, 17-28, and Proverbs 21, 19 through 20.